Welcome to Crosscut Talks. I'm Paris Jackson, the host of Crosscut Now on KCTS 9 and the host for this podcast. This is the final episode of this season of Crosscut Talks. It's been a pleasure to be your host for all 22 shows. I've learned so much from our guest speakers and newsmakers, and I hope you have too. Thank you for joining us for these fascinating conversations. Before we wrap this season, today's talk is an entertaining one for sure. Rachel Bell, host of James Beard award-nominated podcast, Your Last Mill, sat down with Mark Summers, host of the 80s must-watch Nickelodeon TV program, Double Dare, and the Food Network's Unwrapped at the Crosscut Ideas Festival in Seattle. In this conversation, Mark goes down memory lane, sharing his early desire to be in show business, how he snagged the job as host of the after-school phenom, Double Dare, and behind-the-scenes stories about the show, and his personal life that you likely don't know. Rachel and Mark journey into the juicy details of Mark's ideal last meal and how at 72 years old, he's nowhere near slowing down. In fact, he's reviving a one-man show. I hope you enjoy this interesting conversation. Now, let's get into it. I'm very excited. I was already excited before I met him, but after spending an hour in the green room and him watching me eat cheese for an hour and him not eat any cheese, I'm somehow even more (laughs) excited uh, to introduce you to Mark Summers. He's gonna come on out here. Give him a round of applause. everybody. Nice to see you. Uh, Mark, of course, was the host of Double Dare. If you're of my generation, this was like, yes. Big, our people. Our people. And then unwrapped on the Food Network. And then there's so many things that Mark has done that you know you wouldn't know maybe unless you go to Wikipedia, which is he has this long list of producer credits and you've done voice work and you've hosted a bunch of other game shows. So one more round of applause for Mark before oh, we get okay. started. Very kind. Very kind. Um, so let's start at the beginning with, okay. with little baby Mark. Um, I understand that your dad actually owned the biggest grocery store in Indiana? Back in the 50s, my real name is Mark Berkowitz, there's a big surprise, and uh, Berkey Supermarket, 920 West Michigan Street, Indianapolis, Indiana. What was the zip code? Uh, boy, that, I, don't, I don't think we had zip codes okay. back then. It was zones. <laughs> and uh, his father came over from Hungary uh, during all the war silliness. They first had a small liquor store, turned into the largest supermarket in the state of Indiana back in the 50s. And as a kid on my weekends, I used to go and work there and, uh, Mm. uh, you know, teaching me the value of a dollar, you know? So you had mentioned, because it's interesting, you were immersed in this food world, but you're Mom wasn't a very good cook. Worst cook in the world. I was the only person who went to the college uh, dorms and thought the food was excellent there. (laughs) I did too, I did too. (laughs) Oh my God, the worst cook in the world. And the first time they came to uh, Boston for Thanksgiving and we went to a place and they had prime rib, medium rare. Cause you know, Jews cook food so there's no blood in it. Everything tastes like your wallet. And so the fact (laughs) that there was food there that had flavor, uh, I was amazed and it changed my life. Yeah, we realized backstage that we're the same kind of Jew. Yes. We're Romanian, Russian, Hungarian. Yes. We're probably cousins. We might be. And I think there's someone else out Somebody there, too. Else down there. We're all related. <laughs> so I actually read uh, Steve Martin's memoir a few years ago and didn't know before then that he was a magician. Yep. That was his first job. Yep. Johnny Carson as well. You also started as a magician. Well, I, I came out of the womb knowing what I wanted to do. I wanted to be in show business more than life itself. And the question is- Did you is, come out like this? Yeah, almost. Uh-huh. You know, open the refrigerator, the light would go on, I'd do five <laughs> minutes. And so 
Um, I, I realized that I wanted to be in the entertainment world, but how do you do that in Indianapolis, Indiana? And I uh, found out I was obsessed with Johnny Carson at a young age. He was doing a game show called Who Do You Trust? And I used to watch that. Found out that Johnny did magic. And uh, turned on TV one day, and there was this guy doing, uh, selling something called the Dante Magic Set. And it was a guy who sold insurance in Rochester, New York, put a turban on his head, <laughs> and started selling these things. And so I, I had like huge gonads as a young child. And I, I called, I'll tell you what that is later. And so I called the local TV station where I saw this guy selling Dante Magic Sets, and I said, can you give me the phone number of this guy in Rochester, yeah. wherever the hell he is, and they gave it to him, and I called him up and I said, hi, my name is Mark Berkowitz, I do magic, can I be the national spokesperson for the Dante Magic Set? And he said This to is me, before you even had the Dante Magic Set. Before I even had the Dante Magic Set, and he said to me, kid, you can do whatever you want, but I'm not gonna pay you. <laughs> so I said, great. So he said, do you want me to send you a couple of magic sets? I said, sure. So I started calling every, because back in the day, every local station had a kid's show. Mm. So I called every station and said, hi, I'm the national spokesman for the uh, Dante Magic Set. And I got on all these shows doing magic. And so before that, did you learn how to do magic? Oh, yeah. There was a kid, Dave Lawton, who was a member of the Magic Club, uh, Wesleyan Junior High, and he started to tutor me and taught me. And so uh, I started doing magic on, on local kid shows. And after doing one, Popeye and Janie on Channel 4, WTTV, the lady said, Afterwards, well, do you have any other magic tricks? And I said, I do, I didn't. Yeah. But you also learned to lie in show business. And uh, she said, well, how about if I brought you on like every couple of weeks to do magic? So when I was 12 years old, I was a regular on Popeye and Janie in Indianapolis, Indiana. Wow. And I thought, wow, this is the coolest thing in the world. You That's know. amazing. Yeah. Well, it always comes back to food. Let's talk about watermelons, because the person who shifted you from magic to stand-up comedy was Gallagher. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was doing magic at a place called the Magic Castle in Los Angeles when I moved there in the 70s. Yeah. And uh, there was a club called The Laugh Stop in Newport Beach, and I was opening for Gallagher, uh, but I was doing 20 minutes of magic. And Leo, who was the strangest human you've ever wanted to meet in your life, said to me... Wait, is that Gallagher's real yeah, name? Yeah, Leo Gallagher, and it's his real name. And he uh, pulled me aside after Wednesday night, forgive me, these are his words and not mine. He said, Berkowitz, you're an asshole. I said... Uh, <laughs> Excuse me? And he goes, you're an asshole. I said, why? And he says, how much they pay you to do those magic tricks? And I said, $150 a week. He goes, yeah, because you're a prop comic. I thought to myself, you're the biggest prop comic in the world making a boatload yeah. of money. He said, get rid of the props through. and do stand-up, because the people who do stand-up and open for me get $300. I went, oh, I had no idea. Mm -hmm. So I slowly weaned myself out of doing magic, became a regular at the Comedy Store in 1976, and uh, you know, started the uh, career that was going nowhere. It's great. <laughs> And as I learned backstage, you know everybody, because talk about some of the people that you were doing comedy with at the time. Well, I also talked myself into every job I ever had. Um, I, I was a guy of little talent, but had uh, you know the will and desire and the passion to do stuff. Which and, is gonads in Hebrew. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. So I was a page at CBS Television City working on uh, Mary Tyler Moore and Sonny and Cher and Carol Burnett and stuff like that. And there was a guy, Lorenzo Music, who was eventually the voice of uh, Garfield the Cat, many other things, Carlton and the Doorman on Rhoda, if you remember that. Oh. And uh, he did the best warm-ups in the world. He was doing the warm-ups on uh, Mary Tyler Moore and on Newhart. And I went into his office one day and I said, you know, I do warm-ups, never done a warm-up in my life. <laughs> and he said, oh, really? He said, what shows? And I lied and told him a bunch of shows. He said, good. And well, he said, give me your number. You know, someday if I can't do a warm-up, 
maybe I'll call you. And I thought, great, you know, that's never gonna happen. Well, three weeks later, the phone rings. It was Lorenzo saying, uh, they're doing a, a pilot uh, called a Doc, Barnard Hughes, he's a Broadway guy, is gonna do the pilot. I can't do it, would you like to do the warm up? And I went, sure. Well, now I'm really pooping my pants because I don't know what to do. And just sort of studied up and did the pilot. But what do you, what do you study? Well, uh, I, was, I knew I was gonna do magic. I knew I was gonna have okay. to do stand-up. Yeah. Uh, you have to talk about the show, who the people are, who are on it. I did biographies on all those kind of stuff. Uh, a little bit about the set. It was Mary Tyler Moore's company. I mean, I did as much as I possibly could put in the back of my head. And when I got done, Grant Tinker, who was married to Mary Tyler Moore at the time, ran down the stairs, gave me a hug and said, that's the best warm-up I've ever <gasps> seen. I thought, wow. well, it, it just explain to me what the hell I just did, because I have no idea. <laughs> And uh, it kind of opened up a door for me. And uh, then I got this reputation as being the, the warm-up guy. So I did Soap, which was a big show at ABC at the time. And uh, when I was doing Soap, to the right of me, they were doing Bosom Buddies. And Saget was doing the warm-up on Bosom Buddies. And to the left of us, Barney Miller was uh, shooting. And Dave Letterman was doing the warm-ups on Barney Miller. And so that's kind of how we all got started. And uh, I became the hot warm-up guy. And uh, there was a guy you may have heard of. His name was Gary Shandling was doing uh, warm-ups on a show called Alice, and they hated him. And uh, they came to uh, watch me do the warm-up on, on uh, Soap, and then they hired me. I replaced Gary Shelling as a warm-up announcer on, on Alice. So I was doing warm-ups six days a week, uh, making more money than I knew what to do with, but was absolutely miserable, because hmm. I wanted to be in front of the camera and not behind, and didn't know how to make that transition, you know? Well, so you did the logical thing. You became a smoked salmon salesman. Well. So you could be in front of the camera again. Let me explain. So yeah. I was doing, Alice, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I did Our Magazine in the daytime. Wednesday, Thursday night, I did Star Search. Friday night, I did Webster. And oh, when I Webster got Webster. canceled, I did, uh, what did I do after Webster? Oh, uh, What's Happening Now, I did after that. So I worked on all these shows, and uh, I went through a, a period where every show got canceled. And I thought, mm. oh my God, I've got two kids and a wife, and I can't pay the bills. And so a guy I went to college with, uh, Lawrence Milner, who lives here in Seattle, uh, had a smoked salmon, smoked salmon company in Cape Town, South Africa. But he had an amazing product. And so I said, ship me some of that smoked salmon, and I'm gonna go out and see if I can sell it here in Los Angeles. It's the magic kits all over again. <laughs> and honest to God. And so uh, I knocked out my first place, Jillian's Deli, in a place called Larchmont, and I sold the smoked salmon. I called Lawrence, woke him up in Cape Town, and I said, I just sold this stuff. And the next thing I know, um, through connections, we're selling 80,000 pounds of smoked salmon a month mm. to the Price Club, which became Costco. And then we got into Trader Joe's, and I thought, well, I guess I'll never go into show business. I'm going to be a smoked salmon guy. You're speaking the language of our people, Costco, yes. smoked salmon. Everyone's like, yes, yes, Mark. <laughs> and a friend of mine, Dave Garrison, who I knew from Indianapolis, who was a ventriloquist, was in Los Angeles, and called me up one day and said, um, I just got a call from a network I've never heard of called Nickelodeon, and they want me to audition for a game show. I don't know what it's about. I don't want to do this anymore. I want to be a producer. Why don't you go instead of me? And so I went, and uh, they had auditioned a thousand people for this show called Double Dare in New York, didn't like any of them. I was the first guy to uh, do the audition in LA. Called back three times. And at the end of August, I knew that they were gonna start shooting in Philadelphia in September. And the thing I always did is I always got the name of the uh, exec producer and the casting director and their phone numbers uh, so I could call them. So uh -huh. I called Mike Klinghoffer, the exec producer, and I said, aren't you a couple of weeks out from shooting Double Dare? And he said, yeah. And I said, 
So have you selected anybody? He said, no, not yet. But we were just talking about you and this other guy. But when we did the auditions for Double Dare, they had grown-ups playing the part of kids. And so they said, we don't know if you're any good with kids or not. And I said, I have kids. And they said, well, that doesn't mean anything. And I said, <laughs> I used to do magic shows for kids. And they said, well, that doesn't mean anything anyway. So I came up with the concept of putting me and whoever this other person was, put us in a studio and, and do the show with real live kids and let the best man win. So he mm -hmm. said, I'll call you back. And an hour later, he said, what are you doing over Labor Day? And I said, coming to New York and doing Double doing Dare? Double and he Dare. said, yeah. <laughs> so they flew me and whoever this other guy is, I still to this day don't know. And we did the rehearsals. Uh, and then taped 20 minutes of Double Deer. And two days later, they called me and they said, congratulations, you're the, the host. And I said, well, after auditioning 1,000 in New York and 1,000 in LA, why didn't I get the job? And she said, quite honestly, you and this other guy were about the same. But at the end of his audition, he looked in the camera and said, are you guys done or you want me to do something else? Mm. And I looked in the camera and I said, we'll be back with more Double Deer right after this. And because I threw it to commercial, because <laughs> I watched Bob Barker do that my entire life, yeah. they said it seemed more professional and it changed my life. And that's how I ended up becoming the host on I Double love Dare. it. It's really weird. So good. Yeah. <laughs> love it. Um, I watched Double Dare a few years ago because some friends, I think one of, one of them is here tonight, we have a really boringly named club called TV Club that we've done for 10 years uh -huh. where we get together monthly, we watch an <laughs> 80s or 90s sitcom or game show, and then we make punned food to go with it. Oh, so Double Dare came up eventually. We probably did make Mark's summer rolls at that point. Yeah, probably um, did. And it was so refreshing to watch because when you watch kids on TV now, it feels like they're all media trained and they're too precocious yeah. and they know too much about whatever they're talking about and the prizes are so big, but all the kids seemed nervous. Well, we and picked real kids. Yeah, they were real kids. If you kids. watch the Disney Channel, they all look like it came out of Central Casting. They had blonde hair and blue eyes and were perfectly yeah. coiffed. And we had kids with pimples and, you know, dressed poorly. and looked, It was good. Yeah, and, and yeah. so the kids at home related to that. Yeah, you know? and the prizes, I remember one of the prizes was, you win a Casio handheld dictionary. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, and they were like, woo! Yeah. It was so good. Eventually, we gave trips to space camp and the first computers and all oh, that stuff. Oh, okay. But, uh, yeah, and it was interesting. The network, after the show launched and we were getting huge ratings, they sort of went on and tried to figure out what else can we put on Nickelodeon that's going to be a big hit. And so they didn't watch uh, what was going on in Philly. And so the exec producers, Mike and, and Dana, had sort of uh, you know a different point of view as to what should be done. So we used to let the kids name their own teams. Mm. And uh, at one point, uh, we got a letter or a phone call from the network because one of the teams was called the Bodacious Tatas. And uh, <laughs> we got our hands so on 80s. That. Yeah, Bodacious Tatas, great. I might steal that <laughs> if I need a pen name someday. So the thing about Double Dare that's so perfect for this podcast is there's so much food. Yep. So for anybody who's never seen the show, it was a kid's game show. And they would, you know, answer questions. But if they couldn't answer the question, they would take, take the, physical, the physical, challenge. physical challenge. And this meant like sticking your hand up a nose that's full of whipped cream to pull the orange flag out. There was sliding on chocolate syrup. Yep. There was popcorn. There was banana. Sp oh, spaghetti and meatballs. Which oh, yeah. I don't remember if it was real or not. It was. Um, how did the show become so food focused? Why food? Well, they did focus groups and found out that kids like to get messy mm -hmm. and that kids uh, often are told to, you know, stay neat and clean and go to your room and clean it up. But so we were doing the antithesis of that, which was rewarding kids for being sloppy. Yeah. And uh, we would get our hands slapped constantly. The big controversy was, you know, we were using real food and there's people, uh, you know, in Europe who, you know, aren't eating and, 
uh, in Europe. In Europe, yeah, that's, you know, <laughs> they weren't as many homeless people back in the day then. And um, and you know, why are you using you know eggs and all that stuff? So Mike Klinghoffer, who was brilliant, still is, came up with the concept of telling people that we only went to restaurant supply places that sold us dated food. Well, this and, is what I read. I, yeah. I read in so many articles that they said no, no, it was food that is expired. Yeah. And I thought, so the kids are sliding through expired whipped cream. <laughs> Total bullshit. Uh, <laughs> We use real food all the time, hmm. and the insurance company made sure that if the kids got the food in their mouth, that they didn't want to get sick, so everything had to be edible. Okay. So that was, yeah, so we just came up with that lie to have people leave us alone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, something I didn't want to bring up, but then I decided I did want to after oh, hearing an interview you did. Well, you know, it was in the news, and you wrote a book about it that you have OCD. Yep. And so it turned into something... I think bigger than it needed to be of people, just the ironies on the show where everything's really messy. I kind of just wanted to give you the opportunity, you know, in your own words to talk about that since it's been kind of swept around in this media storm. Yeah, it's been uh, exaggerated like crazy. Um, yeah, I have OCD, it uh, runs in our family. Um, when we did the rehearsals and the auditions for uh, Double Dare, there was no obstacle course. We just talked about what's going to be. So the first day I walk into the studio, there's a guy putting, you know, 100 pounds of whipped cream on a slide, and somebody's pouring this, you know, green liquid. And I said, what are you guys doing? And they said, well, the obstacle course, if you win, you, if you can run eight obstacles in 60 seconds or less, you win the big prizes. The Casio Dictionary. Yes. Yeah. And I said to them, stupidly, do you, do you really think kids want to do that? Uh, and apparently they did. We shot 525 episodes of that thing. So the first 65 episodes, uh, I'm not wearing tennis shoes, I'm in a pristine suit, and I learned how to dodge that stuff, never got a drop on me. Mm -hmm. And after the first 65, the ratings were exploded, uh, I got a phone call from the network saying we need to have a meeting before we start shooting the next group of shows. And uh, they said, we just did focus groups and found out the kids think you're like a crazy uncle or maybe an older brother, but they want you to get messy. And I said, why would they want me to do that? And they said, well, they just think it would make you more part of the show. So when you've waited your, I was 34 years old, I waited my whole life to become a host on a show, and I wasn't gonna say I'm not doing that. Mm -hmm. So I decided to you know, go along with it. And there were days that were more miserable than others. Uh, you know, people say, well, he had a, the worst time and hated doing that. No, I had a great time. It was the best job I ever had in my entire life. I, I loved doing it, but I did have issues about getting dunk and slime and stuff. And so I didn't come out and talk about it. I was hosting a talk show on Lifetime called Biggers and Summer. Sissy Biggers was my co-host. And we had a, um, a psychiatrist on, Dr. Eric Collender, who had written a book about OCD. I didn't know what that was. And I was doing the preparation the night before, reading about OCD, and I thought, oh, geez, I do that, I do that, mm -hmm. I do that. The stuff I've been doing my whole life, is, it has a name. So I had to decide, do I go on TV the next day and lie and pretend that this is not a part of my life, hmm. or do I tell the truth? And before the show started, I talked to Dr. Hollander in the green room and said, I think I have this. And he hmm. said, why? And I started to discuss it. And he said, well, when we go on the air, if you want to talk about it, we were live, uh, you can. And so I came out on live TV uh, in 19, I don't know what it was, 97, and said, I think I have this. Well, the next thing I know, the, the phone is exploding. Mm -hmm. uh, my parents were upset that I talked about it. Uh, didn't talk to me for about two years after <gasps> I came Really? Around. Yeah. Wow. Uh, they said, we don't do those things. Oh, really? Um, 
And uh, next thing I know, I'm on the Howard Stern Show, I'm on Oprah, Dateline's following me around for a year doing a piece on me. And you know, Howie Mandel got a pass because his OCD is about a million times worse than mine, but I got labeled as the crazy guy who you know, does all this stuff. So it took a while to kind of overcome all the silliness. I wrote yeah. a book about it and whatever, and, uh, but it, you know, here I am, I guess I'm fine. You know? yeah. <laughs> oh, let's <laughs> take the applause. <laughs> He's fine. We'll be back with more after this. At Amazon, there's a way up for anyone because there's something for everyone. Like Jessica, who completed free technical training programs and is getting her bachelor's with Amazon's prepaid tuition. Even if you have no knowledge or no experience in IT, Amazon has the tools and the resources to teach you. I've been promoted three times and it's been a significant boost in pay for me. Free technical training programs at Amazon move full-time and part-time employees into higher paying jobs. Visit aboutamazon.com for more info. What is the slime made of? <laughs> slime initially was uh, applesauce, uh, green food coloring, uh, vanilla pudding, uh -huh. and occasionally a little oatmeal. And uh, because once again, it had to go into kids' mouths yeah. at some point. So when we did the, the latest version of Double Deal right before COVID, they brought it back uh, for two years. And um, Nickelodeon is a, a machine now. It's a corporation as opposed to when I was doing it. It was just like a little mom and pop thing. And they have a company that makes slime exclusively for Nickelodeon. <laughs> so as the exec producer of the show as well, I had to go in and we had to judge the Do viscosity. Do a slime tasting. <laughs> well, we did a, we had to, the viscosity. Do you want it to be thick slime? Do you want it to be thin slime? Do you what want a it dream. to drip over? So, you know, it's become a whole sort of corporate deal. Um, but initially it was vanilla pudding, applesauce, and uh, you know, it was, it was actually tasty. Mm. Uh, and what was cleanup like? I read, is this true, that it took 600 to 1,000 towels per episode to clean up? Yeah, and it was crazy. We, we had a thing called the tank, and we fi mm. initially filled it with uh, styrofoam balls and one thing after another, and we got clever one day. We filled it with 5,000 pounds of baked beans. And yes. um, yeah. after three days, it smelled like a bad school cafeteria. It just was rancid. Mm -hmm. And we tried to figure out how to get the beans out, and we tried to <laughs> shuffle it into big uh, trash bags, and the bags kept breaking. So we eventually had to call you know, the people who clean out septic tanks. Mm -hmm. So the guy comes with hip waders, and he looks and he goes, uh, what's that? And he said, beans. And he goes, beans. Uh, beans. Why well, you got beans in there? And he said, well, it's a so I said, what do you want me to do? And we said, we want you to take the beans out of there. So he brought in one of those big hoses that they suck, you know, septic the tanks bean out. Vacuum. And he sucked the beans out. So yeah, it was, uh, it was like, when we moved down to Florida, initially in Philadelphia, we had a problem. But when we built the Nick Studios in Orlando, they built in drains to the floors. So we Smart. were able to take squeegees and, and pour it down drains. Boy, the behind the scenes of my glorious life. Yes. I read that the guy who came to get the beans said that it was worse than any septic issue he'd ever dealt with. It was. With. It was disgusting. <laughs> I mean, you walk in and go, oh my God. The first time we did Double Dare, so we had this blue, uh, like, crazy fluorescent floor, and they cleaned it, and then they rolled it up and stored it because they figured, well, we never, never do the show again. Well, you know, six weeks later, we were there. So they unrolled it, and everybody who touched the floor broke out in welts and stuff because whatever creepy crud was on the floors, we all got. And so, like, there were nurses there trying to treat us with, you know, boils and blisters because of the crud that was on the floors that they didn't clean up properly. But again, he lived. He yes, lived. I lived. <laughs> So much living. Yeah. Okay, so let's get to the crux of the show. Yes. What would your last meal be, Mark Summers? My last meal. Okay, anybody here from Chicago? <laughs> really, the worst pizza in the world is in Chicago. Don't Ooh. ever go there for pizza. They serve it, it's like a loaf of bread with some bad tomato a sauce on it. The worst. So the first time I had pizza, growing up in Indiana, uh, my parents not only couldn't cook, but they 
couldn't eat good food. And so I went to a trip in New York when I was about 13 or 14, and I had my first taste of pizza, and I thought, oh my God, what is this? It's insane. So fast forward the tape, I end up working at Food Network and meet some of the best chefs in the world. And there's a man by the name of Mark Vetri who has restaurants not only in Las Vegas, but in Philadelphia. Makes the world's best pizza in the world. So I would start off, it has to be thin crust, be able to read a newspaper through a kind of situation. Oh, that's okay. very thin. So, Wait, and so Philadelphia pizza? Well, Philly it makes great pizza. There's also uh, Boston, Regina's, uh, great pizza. And uh, you know, there's so many places in New York, you can't name them all, but there are many places in New York. So mm -hmm. East Coast pizza, I, I, I finally find that there's, I live in Santa Barbara and there's a guy there who used to have a place in Brooklyn who now has a place in Santa Barbara. So thank God I have East oh, Coast pizza. Oh, what is it called? Bettina. Oh, Bettina, okay, yeah, I was thinking It's really else. good. Okay. So there's that. So um, Mark Vetri uh, made a salad also uh, that would be part of this meal. And it was an escarole salad with apples, radish, and a lemon vinaigrette. Unbelievable, just simple and, and fabulous. So and coincidentally, um, the catering company that you know did the snacks before, so you had that little boat with the salad. Oh yeah. Um, she knows Mark She Petri. knows Mark? Yeah, she used to live there. She goes, oh, I know who that is. Oh I know, God. she said, I know that salad. Oh my. And so that's why she was able to kind of recreate it. So Fantastic. it was an amazing coincidence. So yeah. that, you know, that would be part of the meal. Oh, start with the pizza, go to that escarole salad. And then a cachet de pepe, which uh, is one of my favorites, so good. simple. Uh, can make it at home. It always kind of tastes best in you know Italian restaurants. But that would definitely be uh, a major part of uh, of my life. Which is why we had the cacio e pepe kind of fondue back there. If you tried that, we were we were trying to make this menu, and I said we are not serving them pizza because it's not <laughs> going to be good. Like it's it's just you not. There's not a it. kitchen here. Yeah. And cacio e pepe, you have to eat right away. You have to eat right away. I don't know if you've made it. I think it's oh, yeah. actually it's so simple, but it's hard to make because if the cheese sticks. Yes to the pan, and yes. so it was like, we're not doing that. So she came up with this idea, and I just have to throw this out of here because it's so timely. Um, the, the head chef, the owner of the catering company, she catered Love is Blind when they were filming here in town, which I thought was really cool. Anyway, so some of the food that we did was connected with your last ah. meal, which you were back there with me, watching me eat it. Uh, okay, so, so uh, pizza, Ina Garden salad. and a, a chef by the name of uh, Jonathan Waxman have great recipes for a ketchup pepe if you want to make it at home. Um, so that would be it. And then uh, because uh, I'm a cheesecake fanatic, uh, Junior's Cheesecake out of uh, New York mm -hmm. would be uh, the dessert. There are more calories in this meal than any human should be allowed to have. But uh, that would be, you know, to me, like dying and going to heaven. Mm -hmm. All fantastic. Is there any significance to any of these dishes or is it just things that are delicious to you? Things that are delicious, um, I don't know about you, but uh, I tend to go to Italy more than I should. Um, and I don't think I've been to a bad restaurant ever in, in any town I've been to in, in Italy. And I've been lucky enough to have great jobs in, at Food Network. I get to hang out with people who are amazing. So if you go to Philadelphia, go to Mark Petri's restaurant. He does have two in Vegas, uh, also very good. Um, and I became good friends with him, and you know he's sort of my go-to guy when it comes to, you know, when I go to Philly, it's mm -hmm. the first stop. Mark, we have a little surprise for you uh -oh. based on your last meal. I was just saying, like your kindergarten teacher is gonna like bust yeah. through this wall right now. It's a culinary surprise. So we had the caterer make cheesecake that all of you afterwards oh are gonna go home with. Thank you. But we wanted it to have slime on it too. <laughs> <laughs> That's hysterical. And then this is a chocolate nose. This was my idea. <laughs> because of the noses on Double Dare. And Very so funny. we did pistachio to kind of oh, represent the boogers. 
That's good. But is it good? Mm. And also, mm. I wish, I can't remember what we came up with because she was going around back and forth of how to get wow. exactly what you said, the viscosity of the, the slime. But I was adamant that it tastes good and not be gloopy. It does taste good. Okay, good. They nailed it. Yeah. I wanted to put it under everyone's seat so we could have an Oprah moment. <laughs> but then I was told that my idea was going to give everyone food poisoning. And so I did that. I did out, Oprah once. You'll take it. I, I did Oprah and... Uh, she loved moon pies, mm. so we did. I did a whole history of moon pies there, and then under everybody's chair, they had. You get a moon pie. You get a moon <laughs> pie. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you were with the Food Network for a long time. You. Twenty produced, years. Twenty years, and you produced many shows. And Dinner you Impossible, Restaurant Impossible, and then mm -hmm. I hosted a show called Unwrap for. Uh, and so years. eating all of that food. Who are your favorite chefs as far as eating their food? I mean, you've been exposed to everybody. Well, a lot of them are, are my friends. Bobby Flay is probably one of the best chefs I've ever, mm. uh, I mean, he's amazing. We happen to be friends, so uh, he's been my mentor for many years. And so I'll call Bobby and say, Bobby, I got a problem. He'll say, come on over, I'll cook for you. Aww. And so I go to his house and, and I had the other day, like the best fried chicken that I've ever had in my entire life. And I said to him, how the hell do you make this stuff? And he said, why would I tell you? <laughs> <laughs> he's afraid you're gonna steal his yeah, fried no, chicken. Yeah, no, he's not. <laughs> and uh, so, so Bobby is amazing. Uh, he has a new restaurant at Caesar's Palace, uh, Italian, called Amalfi, uh, go there. And he's getting ready to open a new French restaurant in Caesar's, so that's great. Michael Simon is my other go-to guy. Just ridiculous food. I have um, a strange relationship with Ina Garten. I don't know Ina that well. Um, Does anybody really? Oh, I uh, know. <laughs> She's kind of shy. Um, but during COVID, we, everything we downloaded from the internet was an Ina Garden recipe. And um, for some reason, I have her, e her email. I have no idea why I have it. And um, <laughs> That's a humble brag if oh, I it is. I don't one. know why. <laughs> and um, we made some, uh, one of her dishes one night, and it just didn't come out the way I thought it was going to. So I emailed her and said <gasps> to her, you know, let me explain what's going on here. And, and so she told me why I screwed it up, which was fantastic. Oh, okay. So when we tried it again, she was right, and, and, and we fixed it. So she's a real sweetheart. And, you know, luckily, I've got to work with all those people. And they're the I, chefs, I tell you why the Food Network worked initially so well. Those people were, you know, at the top of their game prior to the Food Network. They were chefs doing extremely well in restaurants. And then the food thing came after the fact. And so they're so down to earth. Uh, Rachel's a good friend. I mean, all these people happen to be really super nice people. And I was hosting a Food Network star when Guy Fieri won. So I got him as agent, who he still has, and we've been friends for years. And uh, the most down-to-earth human you've ever met in your entire life. I always say, if you know, he wouldn't give you the shirt off his back, he'd give you the skin off his back. He's just the nicest man you'd ever meet. The donkey sauce out of his bottle. What's that? He'll give you the donkey sauce the out donkey of his bottle. The donkey sauce out of his bottle, yeah. yeah. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's been a fun sort of career where uh, I've gotten paid to throw green liquids to 11-year-olds and then eat great food. So, and talk about the history of Tootsie Rolls. So, it's been a charmed yeah. existence. Yeah. That's why I love doing these interviews because I think for some people, you know, maybe of my generation, they might only know you from Double Dare mm. or someone might only know you from Food Network. And you have such an interesting story. You actually have a one-man show that you've done that you're reviving. Yeah, it's called The Life and Slimes of Mark Summers. And... Um, <laughs> I, I got diagnosed with cancer about 12 years ago, and then I was in a car accident where I broke every bone in my face, and I thought, well, I've, there's two opportunities. I don't think I'm gonna be around if I keep going through these kind of things. And I've been talking about doing theater for years, and finally, it's too long a story, but I ended up doing uh, Summerstock 10, 11 years ago, uh, and I was playing Vince Fontaine in Greece. 
Uh, and a guy by the name of Drew Gasparini, who I was backstage with, introduced me to a guy by the name of Alex Brightman. Alex has since starred on Broadway, first doing uh, School of Rock and now Beetlejuice. And he wrote my one-man show. The goal was, my, my, my last job I want to do is I'd like to do this off-Broadway. But COVID happened and everything shut down. So Save somehow- that for the podcast, your last job, Mark. Yeah, well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and so, um, uh, we're reviving it. I'm doing it uh, in a place called the Gretna Theater near Hershey, Pennsylvania in August. And then I'm booked for a month in Buffalo, New York, hoping to eventually we'll get it to uh, you know New York and do it off-Broadway. So I'm scared at 72, can I memorize 60 pages? The frightening part is it's about my life. you think it would be easy, but it's not. <laughs> um, I told you, do it in interpretive dance. I know. It's so much it's easier to remember. The easier. Yeah. So I'm, you know, I'm still kind of pushing the envelope. I'm trying to slow down, but I, I'm not good at it. I have a podcast now called uh, Mark Summers Unwraps, and there's 850,000 podcasts out there. At the end of week one, we were number 77, which is mind-boggling to me. Yeah. And so... The phone started to ring, Sirius Satellite called us, and then publicists started to call us. We've had some good bookings. Uh, I just did George Went from Cheers, uh, which is coming up soon. Uh, but the first person I had uh, was Anthony Ramos. Anthony Ramos was doing um, Grease with me, and uh, next thing I know, he's in Hamilton, and now he's starring in every movie. Um, so he was our first guest, and then Guy Fieri did it, and we've got, who else? We have Paula Poundstone coming up, and a lot of good people. So if you're bored some night and can't sleep, Mark Summers unwraps us on wherever you hear your podcast. We're going to get you to 76. Yeah, that yeah. would be fantastic. And it's also, uh, we do it on YouTube as well, so it's visual as well, and you can watch us talk to each other if that's interesting at all. But uh, yeah, it's all, uh, it's all cool. Okay, we're gonna take some of the questions okay. here. So I think we kind of answered this a little bit. Someone wants to know what the Double Dare slime tastes like. I mean, it must have tasted like applesauce and pudding. Yeah, mostly yeah. vanilla pudding. It had the strongest yeah. flavor. Yeah, that was uh, good. Once you moved to the corporate slime, did that have a flavor? I didn't taste it. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I had no interest in doing that, so. Uh... Uh, did you ever do the obstacle course? Many times, mm -hmm. and almost died. Um, it, it's a lot harder than it looked. Uh, but yeah, I, I have done it many, many times. What's the craziest thing that you saw happen on Double Dare? The craziest thing was parents would lie. The two things mm. that happened. Uh, and so uh, <laughs> we had a kid. Um, we had a, a, an obstacle that we tried called the sewer chute. And the kid sort of flipped upside down and landed on his head. We used to say kids bounce, and they pretty much did. But if you look at this video, it's me going for the rest of the time, are you okay? Are you, are you okay? Are you feeling, you know? And so uh, the guy got through obstacle six. Ox obstacle seven was a gigantic TV. And so we go backstage, and this kid's father was one of the biggest attorneys in Philadelphia. And he comes backstage, and he goes, you know, my kid really wanted that television set. <gasps> he said, oh, uh -huh, great, but he only got to obstacle number six. He said, yeah, but he was on that really dangerous obstacle. So um, I, here's the deal. Um, I won't sue you if you'll Double give us the mail. large screen TV wow. and obstacle number seven. And Nickelodeon went, yeah, anything else you want? <laughs> um, so that's how that happened. And the other one that never aired, um, we always asked on the forums, do you have any broken bones? Have you broken any bones? And Kid said no, no, the parents said no. Well, we go to obstacle number one, kid gets the flag, he hands it to the next kid, and none of those floors were slippery. And the kid slipped, and he had something called glass bones disease. And the bone went right through his arm, Ugh. okay? Well, being the strong human I am, I left the studio, because I thought I was gonna throw <laughs> up. And Robin, my assistant, went over and you know took care of this kid. 
And we found out that they lied on mm. the, the form. And it was the only obstacle course that we never finished and the only show that we didn't finish. And I felt bad for the kid who was his partner, but because he lied uh, and they tried to sue us to pay for the bills. And of course- You just gave him a TV too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that, that show never aired, but those are the only two weird things that ever happened in the 500 plus episodes we did. So after you had that accident, I read that you lost feeling from- like, Oh, my car accident? Yeah. Yeah, I have no feeling from here down. I don't feel anything. So I'm always nervous if I have a cold. My wife will often tell me, uh, you need to blow your nose. because it's like, <laughs> So yeah, I, I, when I brush my teeth, I, I have no feeling No, because I was going to ask how that affects eating. It uh, doesn't affect the eating because the taste buds aren't there, but okay. I just have to always wipe my mouth and nose because I just I have no idea what it feels like. You have anymore. nine. You're a cat, Mark Summer. I know. So you have I have nine lives. Many lives. Yeah. Luckily, you don't have that glass bones disease. No, no. <laughs> um, tell us where, because I think people are always curious when people come to town. Where did you eat in Seattle last night? Oh, uh, at the Pink Door. Hmm. Yeah, I had been there several years ago and always thought about it again. And my friend who I did the smoked salmon with said, you want to go back? And I said, yeah. So it just was great. Uh, the food there is amazing. We sat there for three hours before we knew it. And, uh, I, you know, when COVID happened, the whole restaurant scene sort of went downhill in so many places that are our favorites have closed. And a lot of people, the Culinary Institute of America, which is based uh, in upstate New York, is having trouble fulfilling classes now. And a couple of CIAs have closed around the country because people have realized, you know, you work uh, seven days a week, holidays, you're never with your family, and you're making $40,000 a year. And trying to find people to work in the restaurant business is tough. And unless you're paying somebody now 20 plus bucks, they don't want to do it. And so, so many of our favorite places have closed, and I don't know what's going on. The hospitality industry has is, is changed dramatically mm -hmm. and will continue to change. So many, when I was in New York last time, a couple of months ago, so many of the places I used to hang out with don't exist anymore. I know, it's so Yeah, sad. I've been going for 40, 50 years, and they're just not there. We're going to bring it up to a higher note. We're gonna do a little bit of a speed round before we finish. Okay. Uh, what is your ideal perfect birthday cake? Oh, wow, uh, chocolate on pond chocolate. Any, I love chocolate anything. So chocolate uh, thing with, if there was chocolate icing, uh, that would be uh, the, the perfect cake. What's your favorite movie treat when you go to the movies? Uh, buttered popcorn. Uh, and uh, hot tamales. <laughs> you pour them into the popcorn? I don't pour them in, okay. but I do like those two things. Yes. Uh, so your mom wasn't a good cook. No. But was there something growing up that you did love that one of your parents made? If it was your birthday and you could choose anything that you would have chosen? Reservations. <laughs> yeah. To the hottest place in Indiana. There was a Chinese restaurant called the Lotus Garden, and uh, that was my favorite restaurant growing up as a kid, yeah. What is your favorite food show to watch? There's a place called, uh, a show called The Lost Kitchen. It's on Magnolia. Mm -hmm. uh, do some research on this thing. It's a lady who has gone through some turmoil in her life and she uh is in this really small town in maine and uh it's called freedom maine freedom right? maine yeah and the only way you can get a reservation is you send in a postcard and if she draws your postcard you get to go and have dinner there and so uh it's a it's a fascinating show uh, my son produces a lot of shows for food network he does everything alex garnicelli does so i tend to watch a lot of shows that he does so he can continue to work and not ask me for money um, <laughs> And uh, just, you know, anything Bobby does, I like. So, you know, he does some good stuff. Mark Summers, everybody. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Thank you so much for coming. Have a nice evening, good folks. Night. Thanks for stopping by. Thank you. That's it for today's episode. Thank you, Rachel and Mark, for the talk. Thanks for listening to this season of Crosscut Talks. We're looking forward to next year's Crosscut Ideas Festival and the next season of this podcast.
This episode of Crosscut Talks was produced by Seth Halloran and engineered by Resty Bacall and Victoria Ralph. And the event was produced by Jake Newman and Anne O'Dowd. Madeline Happold managed our audience engagement. And you can subscribe to Crosscut Talks wherever you listen. And if you like the show, please review us. We want to know what you think. For the latest political, environmental, and cultural news from the Pacific Northwest, visit CrossCut.com. And if you would like to support the work we do at CrossCut, whether it's live events we host or the in-depth reporting we do every day, go to CrossCut.com membership. In addition to supporting our journalism, members receive complete access to on-demand programming on Seattle's PBS station, KCTS 9. CrossCut Talks is a product of Cascade Public Media. I'm Paris Jackson. We'll be back soon with another conversation.